Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. With the holidays a distant memory in everyone's rearview mirror, we are now stepping into a new year with lots of resolutions and good intentions. If you're a regular at your local gym, you'll likely be familiar with the short-lived good intentions, the big rush of crowds and new people that are suddenly crowding out the gym and the classes, only to disappear over the course of the next few weeks. It is an artificial marker, but for many it proves to be a helpful inflection point, allowing for a new effort or attempt at achieving some personal or professional aim. But in healthcare, this artificial watershed process is less positive and more negative. Leading up to the end of the year, many found themselves scurrying to get as much of their healthcare crammed into the last few days left in the year. Is this because they need healthcare and there is some seasonal need? Sadly not. If you have a healthcare insurance, you know that at the end of the year, there's a significant event in the financial calendar of healthcare. Everything resets. On a personal level, it means your deductible and co-insurance resets. For anyone struggling with finances, something that's even more acute for many in this inflationary economy, this means you want to get as much health care, that's procedures, doctor's visits, specialist visits, investigations, drugs, you name it, as you can. But this makes little clinical sense since medicine and disease don't work that way. For anyone struggling with low wages, even buying insurance can be a difficult decision, with many of the younger men members of the community dropping their insurance as they feel invincible and cannot afford the premiums and pay for the rent, utilities, food, car insurance, and everything else. But if you make that decision and pay your insurance, you expect that it will cover you should something bad happen to you clinically. You expect to be able to access care in a reasonable time frame and for that care to be covered by the insurance. The reality for so many is quite different. There's a mismatch between what is offered as healthcare insurance and what the people buying expect. For most of us, this creates bumps in the road of financial solvency. But when it gets serious, with cancer for example, these bumps turn into massive mountains that overwhelm us. But you bought insurance, so at least you can get the care, right? Not so fast. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Rachel Regali. She's the social media coordinator for Healthcare Now Radio. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. 
So if you would tell us a little bit about uh, how this journey for you started. You were waiting on tables and then suddenly started to develop symptoms. Tell us what happened. So I was 26 years old at the time and um, serving, waiting tables. And I noticed a, a numbness in my leg that I immediately ignored, but um, started to progressively uh, start to hurt more. And um, the pain just increased uh, progressively, but fairly rapidly. And I went through a series of um, trying to diagnose the problem. Um, I was told it was sciatica in my back. I was told to go to uh, physical therapy, which I did for a few weeks. Uh, the pain did not get better. If anything, it got worse um, to a point where I, I couldn't actually serve tables anymore. It got so bad. And um, basically, I was just continuously misdiagnosed until uh, one day the pain was so bad, I was sent to the emergency room where they basically sent me home with uh, morphine <laughs> uh, and just told me that that should help it. And you know, I got to a point where it was not working. So, so, so let's just, uh, you know, for, for context, so you young 26 year old woman, you're a, a good citizen um, in the, you know, you pay your money, you have a, a health insurance plan, right? And you, you were trying to access that through all of this. Is that true? Correct. Yes. Independent contractor, not through my, not through my work or anything like that. Um, but you know, I was, it, Again, paying, you know, just the bare minimum for insurance. I never thought I'd get sick or anything like that. So as a, a young person, you sort of look at this and say, well, I'm, I'm buying health insurance as a sort of catch all in case anything. You know, I think most people at that, that age typically think maybe an accident or something. The thought was I mean, I'd break my leg, something right. like that. Right. I, and, you know, you purchased and you went through an insurance broker, purchased but as you go through this process trying to diagnose, so you have, you know, what clinical people would sort of consider not normal symptoms, let's be clear, numbness and, you know, pain that is debilitating is, is not normal. Um, you're diagnosed without any specific investigation, but through all of this, you know, you, you, you get prescribed physical therapy, but that's not being covered. Yeah, correct. No, that was not covered at all in my plan. So I was paying out of pocket for that. And, and to be clear, this was not a, a cheap activity and you no, uh, went through it and it didn't help, right? Yeah, it did not help. So now you're going through this process. You obviously need the job to be able to pay for the insurance, pay to live and so forth. But now you're at the point where you can't work. So that sort of creates a, almost a, a vicious circle where you'd struggle to sort of pay for the insurance. And you're suggested, somebody says you, you should go to the emergency room. You go to the emergency room. What do they do there? What's, what's carried out and, you know, what happens in that uh, episode? Again, it was in the middle of the pandemic. So being in the hospital, being in the emergency room in general is not, you know, a necessary, necessarily <laughs> fun place to be. Um, after hours of waiting, they take me back. I tell them my symptoms. Um, you know, they kind of play with my knee, knock at it and tell me that, you know, we're not really sure what this is. We're going to prescribe you some morphine because aspirin was not wor working at that point. Um, and they send me on my way. Now, 
Okay, so you, you get some opioids in, in general uh, terms, so that starts to ease the pain, but it doesn't solve the problem. Um, you know, there's some significant risk, as we know from uh, the media, we see this huge challenge of opioid dependency. Tell us about the next sort of sequence of events following that. I was a little fed up at that point. I had tried everything or what I thought was everything. And of course, the last thing on my mind was I had cancer. So I, I find this doctor uh, who actually does not take insurance. Um, she's not like a holistic doctor or anything like that. She just, she's kind of does things her own way. So she was the one who ordered me a PET CT scan. And when I got the scan uh, and she got the results, she immediately called me and told me, you need to go to the emergency room right now, which I'd already been several times. So I go back, I tell them um, what happened. They're able to look at the scans. And from there, they set an appointment uh, to meet with, I'm not sure, I don't believe it was an oncologist. It was, it was another doctor. Uh, again, that took about two weeks, two or three weeks to get into that appointment. Um, and that was when I, find, when I was finally able to get into that appointment, they looked at the scans and that's when I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. So, so they be began this process of, of getting me an oncologist and, um, you know, and getting me a palliative care team. But again, it's just moving so slowly. But, but to be clear, you're, you, you're advised through your physician, you go for imaging. It sounds like that's the first imaging that actually took place in your particular instance. After months of the pain, yeah, I finally was able to get imaging. They finally get imaging and, you know, that inevitably was a, 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 a struggle to get. And they see something on the imaging. You go to the emergency room, but nobody's actually telling you what's wrong. And you have to wait weeks to get an appointment for somebody to actually tell you that you have a cancer, essentially, on your spine. Correct. Yeah. So I, I've got to ask, I mean, I, I'm listening to this story. I'm just deeply troubled, obviously you know, my heart goes out to someone that's going through this sort of experience. How did that make you feel? I mean, it was extremely frustrating, not because I was afraid that I had cancer. I mean, when you're 26, you feel invincible, but I, I was more frustrated because I was in so much pain. I mean, I, and I, I felt bad. I felt guilty. Like I wasn't doing the right steps, taking the right steps, but you know, I, I was doing all I knew how to do at the time. So you were following everything, all of the guidance that you had. You, right. you stepped through all of the sequences that take months whilst you're enduring what sounds like excruciating pain. If it includes numbness, you're talking about, you know, extensive pain in um, your back and, and down your leg. Mm -hmm. People are not really paying attention. You're struggling with an insurance and a system that's preventing you from getting rapid i mean all of the while that this is happening you're talking time goes by whilst this must be playing on your mind mm -hmm. um you finally get diagnosis and you know you go in for treatment now what what happens so i i get diagnosed and um they set me up with some appointments to meet an oncologist to meet you know palliative care um and these these appointments happen weeks in between well not weeks but i would say i would have one appointment one week another appointment another week um to initially they were talking about either surgery or, or chemotherapy um but again the pain had just gotten to this point that was just unbearable 
to the point where I, you know, I was actually engaged at the time. I am engaged. Uh, I was trying to plan a wedding and all of this stuff. And I, I ended up having to move back home <laughs> for, for a period of time. Right. Wow. I, I, I just, I, I can't even think. And what's happening on the financial side? You've got insurance. It's, it's paying for all this, right? Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's paying, it's paying a little bit of it. I, I still have co-pays to pay that are, you know, not accessible. Well, they're in the hundreds of dollars range. But um, again, like I said, I, I can't work at this point. So I, I see myself as very fortunate that I was able to have a family um, and a community that really helped me because if I did not have that, I don't know where I would be today. My mother was able to step in and, you know, that's, that's also a part of the reason why I moved back home is I, I couldn't support myself at this point. So now we've got uh, the, the same uh, experience that I've talked about in this show before, where we have the chief health officer in many cases in families, which is the matriarch or the mother. And that's the case for you. Fortunately, your mother is now involved. What does she end up doing? So she, she's absolutely concerned. Um, she's with me every step of the way, taking me to appointments. Um, and while I'm staying there at night, the pain had gotten so bad. I'm just kind of writhing around in pain. And I think that was her breaking point. She threw me in the car and drove 30 minutes out to the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. It's technically in Scottsdale. It's a little ways away. But um, from there, they are able to get me in and immediately begin chemotherapy treatment. <laughs> wow. So it, it takes a, an active mother in this yeah. case, um, essentially taking control of your uh, challenges, obviously very disturbed by the symptoms that just don't seem to be having an impact in the care that you're currently receiving um, gets you to a facility um, and now you're undergoing treatment. So um, what does that treatment consist of? What's what's going on there? It's funny because the night I was brought to Mayo Clinic is honestly a blur to me. I, I think I was in that much pain at that point. Um, all I know is I was there for six days and they immediately began chemotherapy. And at this time, you know, my insurance does not accept Mayo Clinic, but that was the only place that was willing to, you know, take me in and begin immediate treatment. So the bills start to come, <laughs> but it's very intense. Yeah. How, how, how people understand when you say the bills start to come, what do you mean by that? So, like I said, I was brought into Mayo Clinic and immediately given chemo chemotherapy treatment, which um, I started receiving bills from my insurance that were huge. Um, and I told my mom, you know, I, I don't know how we're going to pay these. Uh, even a, a new Lasta shot, which is the shot they give you for bone density after you do a chemotherapy. One shot, I remember, was $5,000. And, you know, I'm not working. I'm living at home at this point. Um, so through the tireless effort of my mother, we start looking for options. We try several different things. I'm trying to remember what we did. We did... Um, you know, payment plans and, and tried to call, we had some legality, some law that said that, uh, you know, your payment could be, or I'm sorry, your treatment could be paid through like a charity based thing. We tried that through, through the state, through the, um, city that had nothing. It did not work. So, uh, fortunately there was an opportunity for us to get a donation. It was a donation based charity, um, that ultimately ended up paying for, a year of treatment for uh, at Mayo Clinic. 
So good news. So Mayo has, you know, some uh, elements of, of covering care for people that can't afford it. You're clearly in a, a, a circumstance, despite having purchased health insurance, that your health insurance says this isn't covered because in this particular instance, you went to a facility that actually paid attention to you and, and said, we need to treat you. But now you've got bills, but thankfully there's there's a, a process. So you undergo treatment. How long does that take and what, what was that experience? The treatment was a little over a year. Um, I believe if I was, I was diagnosed in September, I was in Mayo late October, early November, and I finished uh, just last November. So, so it took about a year. And, and again, getting that um, charity based donation, or I'm sorry, the donation based charity rather, um, was a long process. It took weeks, if not months to be able to, I mean, we had to go in and speak to like some high member of the board at Mayo Clinic in order to receive this. We had just stacks and stacks of paperwork. So I, I can only imagine as a as somebody that's undergoing chemotherapy, which, you know, let, let's be clear, there's there's no there's no fun in chemotherapy at all for, for anybody. That's a rough experience. Um, you've got a diagnosis that, you know, I think most people would be horrified to receive. You're undergoing all of this therapy, hopefully, you know, with a successful outcome. But then you've got this overlay of these financial issues. And despite them having a, a, a charitable approach to this, it's still not, okay, we, we can see a need. We're going, you had to essentially prove your, I, I want to say prove your worth oh, to, to allow for this. Um, do you think you could have done that on your own? Not, not at all. No, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know where I would be without my family, without my mother. Um, she really was the one who took the reins. And, and again, at this point, I'm going through chemotherapy. I mean, my mind is a blur. I, I, it's hard to hold a phone at this point, um, let alone, you know, type and write out a proposal to be able to get my, my treatment covered. Um, can I share my, my quick anecdote about uh, the biggest turning point for me when I realized that the system is not actually out here to help me? was when I was uh, calling my insurance company and I was on the phone with somebody trying to get covered. And the woman asked me if I was terminal. Um, and I said, gee, I don't think so. I hope not. And she told, she told me, uh, well, that's too bad. <laughs> wow. I, 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 could only, been terminal. I, I can only imagine the, the depths of sort of feelings that that would induce in somebody as you're trying to navigate something that is already stressful, but is being made even more stressful. It was very um, surreal. So you're now I, through that process. Thankfully, it sounds like you managed to get the care covered by the Mayo. So those bills um, were, were covered by this program. You're out the other side. Tell us, um, how, how are you now? So and a caveat, too, is the treatment was covered. However, I did have to pay uh, for all the medications and I was on quite a few. But now that I'm out on the other side, you know, I'm relieved. But at the same time, it's not over. So the day I finished my chemo was the day they, they ended that uh, that charity for me. So at this point, um, I am supposed to follow up with scans regularly, you know, every month, every two months, every three months. And 
I've had to wait four months to get a scan since. So, and I'm currently still looking for an oncologist right now in the system. So. So you, 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 essentially you, you come out of the other side, but at this point you're, you're, I want to say kicked out of the program from the Mayo, right? Oh, absolutely. You're, you're (laughs) out. They've done their bit, but you know, now you're on your own. And to be clear, there's almost no instance of anybody that receives this kind of a diagnosis of cancer that is, okay, you're done, you know, go forth and, you know, enjoy the rest of your life. This is a long-term issue. It's for follow-up. You know, just really super challenging. Uh, You, thinking back, what or if anything could have been done differently? How would you approach this? You've obviously had the sort of the challenges of these experiences. What could we do? How should this work? I mean, to be completely honest with you, I'm a millennial. I think we should have free health insurance. It, it should be a right. It should be a human right. And until you go through that experience, you really don't see it, how, how awful the system really is. Why, why am I being told that I should be terminal? It's shocking. And, and you know, you're, I, I, I'm, I, I have the, the fortune of interacting with you. You're a young, healthy woman. You're working now. You're part of society again, but really almost back to square one, having had treatment that's been covered but you are now facing essentially a future where you obviously think about this on an ongoing basis. We really have to find a better way of doing this um, that doesn't require, I mean, not everybody has strong families, strong communities, don't have access to, you know, the Mayo uh, charitable program or other charitable programs, and quite frankly, shouldn't have to fight for it. Um, to be able to get there. The good news, I think, is that you're better and you're healthy at this point and you're looking forward. What, what are you, what are you in, inspired about? What do, you, what do you, looking back, are you positive about any of this experience? I'm glad I went through it because I learned a lot. I'm definitely not the same person I was when I started, uh, well, before I was diagnosed. Um, it's discouraging to see what people have to go through but at the same time, it's, you know, I, I think it's an opportunity to be able to spread information and, you know, try to make changes within the system or at, le- at least let people know and at least try to fund or advocate for systems that, you know, help people in this situation. Because I was really lucky. And that's a crazy thing to say, that I was lucky. But I was. That I had a support system. So I, I just, you know, I, I want to sort of acknowledge, you know, my gratitude for A, you sharing this story. I think it's, you know, heart-wrenching to say the least. It's, it's a poster child for this particular podcast. It's something that people should not go through. And also, you know, you command such a huge amount of my respect for how you sort of look at this, which is, well, I'm grateful for it. It's made me a better, more knowledgeable person. How can we change this? Rachel, thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you so much. Happy to, happy to be here. Tragedies like these unfold every day in our system of sick care. 
The system is working as designed, but it's not meeting the needs of huge swathes of our population. There's a mismatch between insurance coverage people pay for and the care they can access. Being sick is stressful. Finding care should not be an additional stressor, nor should financial burden of care be, but it is. And this is not just the case for the uninsured, but for many who are insured as well. Your better pill to swallow is for every one of us, not just the health system, the staff and the clinicians, but each and every one of us to step up and refuse to accept the status quo of our sick care system. Take a leaf out of Rachel's outlook and learn now about the system, the coverage and the costs and find your means of contributing to solving this for all of our sakes. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash HUD for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. Thank you.